there was a group of people that were being taken to a factory and given them a tour of how the foundry operated, how they cut metal, etc. And they came to a specific place where a man uh, had a blueprint and they would cut the metal in a specific way, but they would have to trace it from the print. And as they trace it from the print, there was a, a very uh, fine uh, flame that would actually cut the metal. As they were watching this process, the operator finally had to stop because the flame would not cut through a certain spot. And so the question was raised, why is it that the flame could not cut that spot? And the operator simply said that when there is rust at a specific spot, the flame will not cut through until that rust is removed and then they could continue. And so the man took out um, the chemicals that he needed, uh, took the uh, steel cleaner, cleaned the metal, which was eight inches thick, and they continued to cut until the job was done. In the midst of the group was a Christian who all of a sudden got an impression about the Christian experience and this particular process. And here's what the Christian said. It struck me forcefully that this is a picture of the Christian. The Holy Spirit is seeking to produce in us God's perfect design. If the life is unblemished, he is able to continue his efforts. But if we become cardinal or backslidden, his work of shaping us is hindered until the area in question has been thoroughly cleansed. Let's pray together as we consider God's word tonight. Our Father, we thank you for thy word and you've promised that you will give us understanding. And we're thankful that we can claim that promise tonight, not because we have anything worthy that we can commend ourselves to you by, but because Jesus was willing to make a way for us through his blood. And so in his name, we claim the promise. Amen. Tonight's topic is sons, of God and daughters of men. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, I want you to read a few verses there. Genesis chapter 6, and uh, look at verses 2 and on. I want you to notice the wording there. Genesis chapter 2, uh, 6, pardon me, verse 2. Here's what it says. The sons of God saw the daughters of man, 
that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now there are several things here that I should bring out. When I first started working as a Bible worker, many, many moons ago. I was doing a Bible study with a young couple, and they were very enthused about what they were learning, uh, so much so that they decided that they wanted to commit their lives to God. But one day I discovered there was somebody visiting them, and it turned out to be a lady who happened to be of the Jehovah Witness uh, Church. I was concerned because I uh, was very excited that this couple was coming our direction and all of a sudden here shows up this lady and we call it in the, in the church uh, language sheep stealing. <laughs> and so she was trying to steal my sheep. Well, I was not very happy with that, you understand. After all the hard work that I was doing and uh, she was trying to steal them. And so we began to study, and, and in essence what she did was she put up a, uh, a test, and she wanted to demonstrate that, uh, that their particular persuasion was better than ours, and uh, the one who can explain the Bible best would be the one to win. Well, uh, let me say this to you. No one ever wins a debate. But I was in a situation where I had to uh, defend myself. Now, I was a young, young, young lad, um, and in comparison to her, she obviously had been uh, doing Bible studying for a while. In fact, it turned out that she was the wife of the leader of the Jehovah Witness Church in that area. And so, uh, I was a little bit concerned because I was not as well versed in the Bible. Uh, so. Somehow we came across this verse. She took me to this verse uh, that we just read. The sons of God married the, the daughters of men, you see. And then she went about to say that these particular uh, sons of God were angels from heaven that came down and got married with these women, and that's why they were giants. So I, uh, I, I had to question that. I said, so... These sons of God are angels from heaven. She said, yes. She said, because in the book of Job, it says the sons of God came to meet uh, with God. So I said, so you're telling me then that these angels came down and had relationships with the women, and that's why they were giants. She said, exactly. So I said, uh, well, the flood came, and what happened to those angels? She said, well, they went back to heaven. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I asked the question. I said, you mean 
these angels who came down and defiled themselves, God allowed them to go back into heaven? I don't suppose anybody had asked that question before. And frankly, I don't know why I did. It just seemed reasonable to ask that question. And so I uh, waited for an answer. And she got troubled. She had never thought about that. And so she said, no, they didn't go to heaven. I said, so where did they go? And then she gave one of these uh, nervous laughs, you know, and she said, uh, why don't we start our own church? And I said to her, why don't you join my church? Well, she left, and uh, my sheep were not stolen. And I was so grateful. But there are many people today who are confused about that verse. There are people who believe that these are angels. How many of you believe they're angels? Can I see your hands? How many of you don't want to raise your hands? All right. Well, in reality, there's a lot of confusion about the sex. And let me say this. I've written a book called Bottomsome and Disturbing Bible Passages. How many of you have seen that book? All right, just a few of you. Well, it's a little small book, but it has over 100 verses of Scripture that are difficult to explain. And I uh, did the research on all of them and gave the biblical answers so that people can actually find uh, the answers to those verses of Scripture that are difficult to understand. In fact, in Guam, I'm, uh, I'm hosting a program called Straight from the Bible. Now, you probably heard Doug Batchelor, Pastor Doug Batchelor's program called uh, Bible Answers Live. All right. Well, uh, Doug Batcher, Pastor Doug Batcher, actually uses my book. He called me up and said... Uh, asked me for permission to use my book because there are answers in my book that he hadn't thought about before. So I'm thankful that he is able to find it beneficial for himself. And uh, so I've done a lot of studying and finding those difficult texts. And how do you explain them from the Bible? So let's have a Bible study tonight. What do you say? And let's try to figure out this, uh, this, this uh, question that's before us. So... First of all, when we talk about the sons of God, uh, and we, uh, people refer to that as being angels, there are only two places in the Scripture that refer to angels as the sons of God. I'll give you one reference. Are you ready? Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. And here's what it says. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. So those of you in, in TV land, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, you can go and fetch them and uh, turn to Job chapter 1, verse 6. And here's what it says. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. By the way, this is a wonderful text that I have used for people who don't understand or know that there are actually beings out in space. In fact, one day I was, I was flying from New York to California, and I happened to be sitting between two ladies. And so I was praying which one I should witness to, and I was going to witness to the one on the right, and it turned out that she was a Christian. So then I turned to the one to the left, and it turned out that she was uh, basically an atheist. Uh, she was a scientist. And I asked her, I said, by the way, what, uh, are you on pleasure or on business? She said, on business. I says, what do you do for her? Uh, what kind of business are you, are you into? She said, I'm a scientist. I said, of what particular area? 
She said, I'm in charge of all the apparatuses that point to the heavens to see if there's life out there. See? So I said to her, well, you folk are too late. <laughs> and she looked at me. She said, what do you mean? So I said, the Bible tells us there are beings out there. She said, where? So I turned to Job chapter 1 and verse 6, you see, and showed her that the Bible says that there are beings out there. And then I said to her, you folk are trying to build a, a, a city in space, correct? She said, yeah, you guys are too late again, I said to her. <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I turned to Revelation chapter 21, and uh, John saw the holy city, you see? And she was just amazed. And I said, by the way, it wasn't too long ago that you folk discovered how to make transparent gold, right? She said, yes. I said, guess what? She said, we're too late again? I said, yes. I said, the Bible tells us that there's transparent gold. 2,000 years ago, God had already reveal, revealed that there was transparent gold. Now you're looking at me wondering, where do you find that in the Bible? Right? Where is it? Well, it's Revelation chapter 21, verse 18 and 21. It says that there's transparent gold in the streets of the city and that the walls are transparent gold. Well, for centuries, scoffers and atheists and agnostics would, would laugh at that and say, fairy tale, whoever heard of gold you could see through? You see? They're not scoffing any longer. Why? Because transparent gold is being utilized by scientists in many applications, especially in these space city that they're trying to build. And so recently they discovered how to make transparent gold. They found out that the Bible is still ahead of them. What do you say? Amen. All right, now, sons and... By the way, you know what she said to me? She said, you know, this is interesting. She said, my brother became a born-again thing. <laughs> That's what she said. A born-again thing. And he invited me to his church. So out of respect, I went to the church. And when I got there, the pastor set us around in a circle and uh, put Bibles in our laps and then turned to some place of some bones, connected to some bones, she said. And uh, then, she, then he said, for us to read it and then give our impressions. And she said, I sat there feeling very silly, like I was sitting in front of some shrink wanting to know my impressions about bones. <laughs> but then she said, I had no idea that the Bible was a scientific book. She said, the impression I had in that experience was, if that's all they get out of the Bible, who needs that? But I said, look, I'm a vegetarian. She said, you are, and you got that from the Bible too, right? I said, yes. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, we're told that that's the first diet, a vegetarian diet. She said, this is amazing. She said, I think, I think, she said, it was providential that you and I sat together. And then she said, when I get home, one of the first things I'm going to do is buy a Bible. Amen. Isn't that wonderful, folk? Yes. All right, so the sons of God. See, that verse, uh, it's an excellent verse to demonstrate that there are beings in space. But while it is true that they're called the sons of God, it is also true that the Bible is not referring to the angels as the sons of God. Now, how do I know that? Because the Bible is, is very clear concerning what are the sons of God 
in this relationship. Let me give you some verses of Scripture so you can see what I'm talking about. Look at the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Mark chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. Mark chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. And I want you to notice what it says. The one who's speaking, of course, is Jesus. Who is it? Jesus. It is Jesus. And by the way, if you ever want to know what truth is, go to Jesus. Jesus is the one that reveals to us the wonderful truth. All right? Notice what Jesus said. Do you not therefore err because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Now, don't get distracted. I know some of you who are married have read this text and have sometimes even cried. I know that there, I've had some ladies say, you mean I'm not going to be able to be married with my husband in heaven? How many of you have heard that? Yeah. All right. Let me say this to you. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to be married in heaven. Worry about getting there. <laughs> okay. You, you hear what I'm saying? Because if, when you get there, you'll discover that God has something far better for us than what we ever experienced on this earth. Yeah. All right? So don't worry about it. Focus on getting to the kingdom. What do you say? Yeah. Now the point here is this. Notice what Jesus says. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Which means then that Jesus tells us that angels do not get married. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. Angels do not get married. Let's look at another text. Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, verse 34 through 36. Luke chapter 20, verse 34 through 36. Luke 20, verse 34 through 36, and here's what it says. Jesus answering. Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. So who gets married and, and given in marriage? The children of this world. Okay. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither married nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now here you have a text. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is making it very plain and, and, and very clear that it is the people here on earth that get married. But... When we go to the kingdom, it says, they will be as the angels, because they will not die anymore. They'll be equal to angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. So, the, the, the main point is this, friends. The, the Bible in the book of Genesis is not speaking about angels, for angels do not get married. Obviously, then, it is speaking about human beings. What is it speaking about? Human, human beings who in that particular time were marrying and given in marriage. Now, in the book of Matthew chapter 24, and as I said, we're having a little Bible study here tonight, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus addresses that particular time when Noah was erecting that ship or boat 
And uh, when uh, this particular time of the sons of God and the daughters of men were married and given in marriage. So if you have your Bibles again, Matthew chapter 24, and let us read verse 37 through 39, 37 through 39. And I want you to notice the wording here and, and the, the emphasis and the focus that Jesus has given. Notice what it says, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, in other words, Jesus is using Noah as a historical point of reference, correct? Today we may say as it was in the days of Kennedy or as it was in the days of King George VIII, uh, or Henry VIII, pardon me. We're talking about uh, using that as a historical point of reference. So the emphasis not on the person that is being mentioned, but on the time that he lived and what was happening in that uh, vicinity or in that area or that time frame. So notice it says then, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now notice then, that what happened in Noah's day will happen when the Son of Man comes. Okay? Well, what was happening in those days? Notice it says, For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the boat, and uh, knew not. Who knew not? The people who are inside or outside of the ark? Outside, okay? And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So now notice it says that there were people in Noah's day who were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. So notice again that Jesus is making it very plain that the people who were affected uh, in those days were not angels, but were humans. And these particular humans were living in the day of Noah, that their thoughts were evil continually. And Jesus says that just as it happened in the days of Noah, it will be repeated just before the time that Christ appears on, again for the second time. And so the question is this, folk, is that happening today? Are people's minds continually evil? What's the answer? Yes. yes. Uh, in, in fact, I try to, uh, on the plane, because flying on the, from Guam over here, uh, it's a long trip. And the problem is that uh, you get locked in uh, where they, uh, at least in some places, the Continental, for example, you have an option. They give you a little monitor that you can look at right in front of you. And uh, you can watch the, the travel of the plane as it's traveling. Or you can have options to see whatever videos they have. On Delta, they don't do that. They have a main screen up in front, and whatever picture they project, that's what you're stuck uh, seeing. So I have blinders. What do I have? Blinders. I have blinders. So I put on my blinders so I see no evil. Because all that I, that I have uh, seen, when I lift up my eyes, there's some some uh, episode taking place immediately and oftentimes it hits me before I had the time to close my eyes. And most of it is about somebody destroying somebody, somebody killing somebody, something, somebody blowing up somebody, somebody shooting down somebody. It's always something about killing, destroying, uh, bombing, etc. Or it has something to do with some immoral activity. And so uh, it seems then that, that what people are liking to see more is all of these guys who are super uh, human that can do all sorts of things, they always get blown up and somehow survive. 
You, under, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, they're killing all sorts of people, and all these people are dead, and they, they escape all the bombs, they escape all the shooting, they escape all of that, somehow they do it. But the point is this, it seems like life is not valued anymore. And so, people's minds are heading in that direction. Things are becoming worse. Uh, we recognize that that's happening not just here in America, but around the world. We were told that that would happen. And it's happening. And we're not talking about angels that are doing that. We're talking about human beings that are doing that. Now, the question is this, why does the Bible then mention the sons of God? Who are really the sons of God? Well, the Bible makes it plain uh, what are sons of God. And I'm going to give you a few texts just so that you can see from the scriptures uh, who are sons of God. All right, you have your Bibles again. I want you to look at John chapter 1 and verse 12. The book of John chapter 1 and verse 12. Jesus uh, is being uh, here uh, revealed as the one who created all things in John 1, 1 and 2 and 3. And then as you continue down, you'll see then uh, that the Bible then focuses on the reality that he was the light of the world and uh, that he came unto his own and his own received him not. And then in verse 12 specifically it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There you have it. To become what? The sons of God. There you have it. Even to them that believe in his name. Uh, there are many, many passages. In fact, uh, there are only two verses that refer to angels as the sons of God. There are quite a few of them that refer to human beings as the sons of God. Uh, here's another one. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Philippians 2 and verse 15. And here's what it says. Notice. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. You may be what? blameless and what else harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world think about that text there are several things here number one it says that ye may be blameless which means then that uh, that as far as we're concerned we are living in such a way that people cannot blame us for something that we've done wrong because we Avoid doing that which is wrong. Okay? Number one. Number two, harmless, which means then that we seek not to harm other people. Uh, and so we're both blameless and harmless. And then it says the sons of God without rebuke. In other words, because you're living an upright life, you don't have to worry about somebody rebuking you in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So if you can live... Uh, godly lives, then the, there's nothing that people can rebuke you for other than your faith in God, and uh, that you are actually able to live in a righteous manner even though the world has gone astray. This was the, 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 the situation with Noah. Noah and his family, the Bible says, Noah was a righteous man. In other words, Noah was a man who lived right, who did what was right. And he did so in the midst of that perverse world, when the thoughts of the, of the people were evil continually. 
Notice then that we are or can be the sons of God. And ladies, that includes you. I guess it, you're catching on to it. Because I heard amen, and then, then amen, and then amen. So it's, it's, it seemed like it really didn't hit the first time, and then somebody caught it, and, and, and it just kept on reverberating. But the, let's, let's do it again. The Bible makes it plain that you, male or female, can be the sons of God. Amen. All right. Now, the question then is this. Why does God use the term sons of God for men? And, and uh, then it says daughters of men. What was happening? What was really taking place? Well, let me give you a little background. If you turn to the book of Genesis, uh, you'll understand why it is that, that this language is being used. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, a little background is this. When God created Adam and Eve, uh, they finally had children. One of the first that they had was, of course, Cain and then Abel. And if you remember the story, uh, Abel was faithful to God and was offering the, uh, the, the sacrifice that God was asking for. Cain did not want to do what God wanted him to do. He'd rather have God accept him as he wanted to come rather than uh, come to God the way that God had asked. And we should never forget this, folks, that salvation is a gift from God. It isn't something that we give ourselves. Therefore, if we're going to be saved and we want to be saved, then we must do it God's way. What do you say? Amen. We cannot ask God to save us the way we want to be saved. We have to ask God to save us the way He considers salvation will be safe for you and for me. Therefore, we must follow God the way He is explicit and implicit concerning salvation. Now, when Abel was killed by his brother, uh, Cain was then... Uh, put out from the presence of God, and Cain then uh, wandered about as a, as a uh, vagabond, turned away from God completely, and Cain began to have children, etc. And uh, he then was a man who, for no reason whatsoever, turned his back against God. Adam and Eve had another boy, and his name was Seth. And I want you to notice the wording, because sometimes when we read the Scriptures, we, we somehow don't catch the significance of what it was saying. But I want you to notice in chapter 4, notice what it says about uh, Cain and then about Seth. Verse 25, notice it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, have appointed me another seed instead of Abel. See, God has said to Eve that the, that the Messiah would come through the seed of man, of woman. And so she assumed that Cain was that Messiah. Well, she was mistaken. And then, of course, since Cain had killed Abel, well, Cain could not be the Messiah, and Abel could not be because he was dead. So she assumed that there was no hope. But hope awakened when... Another boy came around. His name was Seth. Seth. Now, what, notice what it says. Verse 26 then. Uh, for, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. There you have it. 
When did people begin to call, call upon the name of the Lord? When there was a young man named Enos, who was a son of Seth. So, in the Bible then, in this beginning period, the sons of God are the followers of the Sethites. Okay? In other words, those who were faithful and, and sought God were considered to be the sons of God. The daughters of men then were not considered to be of God, and so they were considered to be the daughters of men. That's why it makes a difference between those who are following God and those who are not following God. And sorry, ladies, that it uses women to show that it's an absence of God. But the reality is that it's revealing that there's a separation. There's a what? Separation. A separation. There are those who are following God and those that are not. And so, what takes place is that, that the believers in God, those who are true and faithful to God, were living apart from those who were not true to God. You remember, as it says, that Cain uh, left the presence of God. If you, if you look uh, in uh, chapter 4, you see then, uh, verse 16, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. What did he do? Went he went out from where? from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Did Cain want anything to do with God? What's the answer? No. Did Seth want to have anything to do with God? Absolutely so. And so now you have a group of people who are following God here, who delight in God, and you have a group of people, by the way, from the same family, who have nothing to do with God. There's nothing sadder than a family who grow up together as believers, and then you have the family divide and separate, and some become antagonistic to faith, while others are faithful to faith. But here's what happened. What happened was, in the process of time, the sons of God, who lived out in the, in the mountains, in the country, etc., uh, the Bible says that Cain began to, to uh, build cities, and so the, the believers began to behold the daughters of Cain. And they seemed to be very attractive young ladies. And so these uh, young men who were faithful to God began to intermarry with women who were not faithful to God. When this intermarrying, that's why it says they were marrying and given in marriage. When this was happening then, it was assumed that the, the righteous would have an influence on the wicked and therefore transform them. But it really doesn't happen that way. When a righteous person begins to dwell among people who are not righteous, in other words, if you're a Christian and you want to maintain your Christian experience, you cannot do so in a bar. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, are you hearing me? In other words... If you want to live a godly life, you have to go to places where, where godliness is being encouraged. You cannot go to a place and, and try to live a godly life in a place where godliness is not encouraged. On the contrary, it is completely discouraged. As you remember yesterday when I said to you that in the drug party, the thought that came to me was, if there's a God, we're in serious trouble, so how much did I want to keep God in my mind? No. Not at all. And so... It is clear then that, that when people want to live godly lives, 
it is important for us to understand that there has to be a demarcation, a clear separation in your activities and your association between those that are good and those that are bad. Now, some people may think, well, but Christ went and dwelt among people who, who were bad people. But let me explain it to you this way. There's no record that says that Christ went and participated in their activities. It says that Christ went to their homes, Christ went to their villages, Christ visited. But what's interesting is that Christ always sought to influence, and as long as influence was flowing out, he remained there. But when the influence resisted, then he went to someplace else. He never remained in a wicked, evil place just to associate with people, just to show himself, quote, friendly. Rather, he went with the hope that he could attract people to the gospel and to a holy, uh, devout life. And so, Christ sought to win people. He went to talk to those who needed him. And those that needed him actually sensed the, the, uh, that Christ actually had a drawing power. And those that, whose hearts were open uh, were drawn to Christ. And those whose hearts were hardened were not drawn to Christ at all. And so we can find in the scriptures that there are those who inwardly, inside their, their, very, their, their soul, they have a desire to, to do what's right. They may not know how to do it, and they may not know that, uh, uh, how to do better than what they're doing. You know, I grew up, as I said, in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I could remember many times not having the desire to be involved in what I was into, but that was my surroundings, that's what I was involved in. And my religion basically that I had when I was a kid did not uh, preclude some of those things that I was doing. In other words, all you had to do if you uh, were not living uh, right the way the church said, all you had to do is go and, and confess yourself and then uh, as long as you did whatever they prescribed, you're okay until next Sunday. And so the Bible then reveals that there's a, a demarcation between that which is holy and that which is not holy. A, there's a clear line between that which is truth and that which is error. In the Bible, there's no gray areas. Did you understand what I said? There's no how many? No gray areas. Uh, the Bible makes, makes very, very, very careful, uh, uh, explicit uh, admonitions that we need to be wary, uh, careful as to what our associations are. And sometimes people don't understand that, young people especially. I remember my mother trying to tell me many times, hey, don't hang out with those kids, those are bad kids. Of course, she didn't know how bad I was, but she thought the kids were worse than I was, see? So, how many of you have been told by your mom, hey, I don't want you to see, be with that boy. I don't want you to be with that girl. It's a bad influence on you. Anybody? Yeah. Can I see your hands? All right. Well, was it that your mom was trying to be critical against the person, or was it that they recognized that the influence of that person was not good on you? Which one? The influence was not good on you. And so, mom or dad might have said, look, I don't want you around those kids. All right? You hear me? Now, you may not appreciate that, but the reality is this, that many times we are not uh, able to pick up on what our parents can pick up. And experience teaches you certain things. Uh, and one of the things that experience teaches you is that you can prosper if you get together with the right people. Let me explain it this way. I have a friend who, uh, who was going to university, and he was taking a class, and he was failing. 
and his, his roommate was also failing. So his roommate said to him, hey, why don't we get together and study together to help each other? And he thought to himself, I'm a dummy, and he's a dummy. How are one dummy and two dummies going to equal one uh, smart guy? So he said to his friend, look, I, you know, I'm a dummy and you're a dummy. We're not going to help each other. So uh, thanks so much, but I'm going get, to get somebody who's smart, that's much smarter than me, so I can then learn. And that's what he did. He got together with somebody who was an A student and uh, had the A student friend help him and that way he increased and, and was able to pass his class. Now, that's good wisdom. What do you say? Yeah. Huh? So, you can get together with a dummy, and you're a dummy, and you'll equal a dummy. You see? <laughs> or you can get together with somebody who, who, can, uh, who is really doing well, and therefore you're going to gain something by that. Does that make sense? I hope you learned something about studying habits tonight. <laughs> Don't get together with another dummy. It's not going to help you. All right? <laughs> Now, here's, here's the point that we need to make. When you associate, you need to be selective of your associations. And that's what the scripture is revealing. Now, let me bring it down home to our daily lives. When Jesus warned that the same thing that happened in Noah's day would happen again, he was giving us warning for our day. Because I don't know how you feel, but from all the things that are happening, the earthquakes that are taking place, do you know, folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but earthquakes are increasing in number and in magnitude. Did you know that? Uh, I have done a research. In fact, if you want to, you can go on a website that has to do with earthquakes and the history of earthquakes. And... Uh, it's amazing. They actually give you the numbers of earthquakes that are occurring every single day around the world. And they also will give you the magnitude of the earthquakes. And you'll find something very interesting, that the, the number of huge earthquakes are occurring more frequently than ever before. That tells us something. What do you say? Now, while the earthquake in, in Chile hit, did you know that there was an earthquake in Okinawa? And you know there was an earthquake in Argentina? And you know that there was a hurricane that went to France and, and Germany? Did you know that? You didn't know that. There are all sorts of things that are happening that are weird, that are strange. And all these things God has revealed to us would take place just prior to the coming of Christ. Now, what's, what's, what's important here is to understand this. That God is not only telling us what's happening in the elements outside, but God is also telling us that there, there's an amalgamation taking place within the, the faith. And therefore that Christians are, are in danger of losing their hold upon God by associating with the things of the world. And that's why God says, uh, don't love the world. He that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what does that mean, don't love the world? Well, the scripture reveals in the book of Timothy, if you have your Bibles, uh, here's another sign for those of you who are viewing on television. Uh, in the book of Timothy, we find that God sharing with us counsel concerning the very things that would happen in our day. Notice the language here, and it's important language uh, because it, it actually 
makes it appear as if though uh, it's front page uh, news here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice the wording here and, and tell me whether or not these things are taking place. Notice what it says. This know also that in the last days. In what days? The last days, what kind of times will come? Perilous times. Now, the word perilous means dangerous times. Then it says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Notice, it doesn't say perilous times will come because there'll be earthquakes. Notice it doesn't say perilous times will come because there are tornadoes. It doesn't say perilous times will come because there are hurricanes. Rather, it says perilous times will come because there are what? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heavy, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Notice that Paul is not saying that Perilous times are coming because all of these elements will be affected. But rather, perilous times are coming because there's going to be an effect on believers to the extent that it will dilute the believer's influence in the world. It would what? Dilute. dilute the believer's influence in the world. And that's precisely what happened. In Noah's day, what took place was that that the influence of Cain's descendants so influenced the, the people of Seth that by the time the, the flood came, there were only eight righteous alive. How many? Eight. eight righteous. Now, perhaps you don't know this, but in the Jewish culture and understanding, uh, you cannot worship in a synagogue unless you have eight, uh, pardon me, ten men. How many? Ten. Now think about that. When Abraham knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed, what did he ask for? He finally ended up in ten. Not five, but ten. How many were alive in Noah's day? Eight. That's why the flood came. Which means then that the world only survives because there are righteous people on the earth. If the wicked only knew it while they're mocking and, and criticizing, ridiculing the, the believers, they don't realize that their lives are saved because there are still righteous people on this earth. What do you say? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, the reason why the Bible is, is warning us about the sons of God and the daughters of man is that just what happened in the days of Noah will happen tonight. Therefore, you and I need to be very careful that we do not allow our spiritual influence to dwindle. Because the life of somebody is dependent upon your connection with God. Does that make sense to you? Are you putting it together? Listen, Paul even writes even more about that. And this is why Paul writes what he writes. Uh, we're looking at the book of Corinthians. Look at the book of Corinthians, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you warming up now? Are you getting excited? All right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what it says, verse 14. Where am I? Verse 14. Notice what it says. Be ye not unequally yoked together with 
unbelievers. For what fellowship of righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion have light with darkness? What concord have Christ with Belial? Or what part have he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Does God want to dwell in you? What do you say? Amen. Yes. I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now notice the wording here because it connects back to the sons of God. Notice what it says, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, verse 18 now, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Okay? In other words, my friends, the reason why God is giving us this particular warning is so that believers do not allow themselves to become so influenced by the influences of the world that they lose their ability to be a positive influence for good in their community. Jesus uses the term, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But if you lose your saltiness, then... It is cast in the ground and trampled on the foot, is what Jesus says. In other words, the worry that God has is not on the tornadoes, not on the earthquakes, not on all those things, as important as they may be. The worry that heaven has is that, that eventually, unless something happens with those who are believers, the, they will become insipid, so insipid that they'll have no influence to change the lives of other people. And therefore, the saving power of the gospel is lost. God wants us to be sons of God. What do you say? Amen. He wants us to, to be so connected with God that we actually have an ability to influence others. In fact, here's what, what you need to understand. Because you believe when you talk to others of your faith, you are imparting faith to others. You're doing what? You're imparting faith to others. Others begin to believe because you have believed. But if you become insipid, you know what it, that word means, right? Huh? If you become powerless in your influence, if you become a, 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 a neutral in your experience, then you have no ability to influence the life of others, and consequently, others are lost simply because you have become neutral. Now you can understand why in Revelation chapter 3 it says, I wish that you would be hot or cold. Now why does it say hot or cold? Why would God want somebody to be cold? Because it has to do with the, with the reality that if you're hot, you know you're hot. If you're cold, you know you need to get hot. But if you're lukewarm, you don't have any sense of need. You see, how many of you, I saw a young lady walking out today and she was putting a blanket over herself this afternoon. I said, are you cold? She said, oh, yes, I'm cold. Well, the fact that she was cold and knew she was cold caused her to do something about it. You understand? So what God is saying is, if you're lukewarm, you don't have any sense of your condition. You see, if you're hot, 
It means you're excited, you're doing something for God. If you're cold, it means you're doing nothing, but at least you're cold, and being cold causes you to get warm. Wakes you up to the, your condition. So God said, I don't want you to be warm. I would rather you be cold or hot. You understand? So at least if you're cold, you're going to try to put a blanket on. You're going to do something about your condition. Sons and daughters of God, then. The sons of God, those who recognize their position on this earth, those who realize that they have a calling from God, those who sense a responsibility, those who recognize that salvation of others depend upon your walk in connection with God. It was because Noah was righteous and Noah remained faithful to God that he was able to survive the flood and come to the other side. Today, the warning that God gives us, friends, is not about how many Jesuits are in this church or that church. The counsel that God gives us today is not about how many uh, earthquakes you can avoid. Listen, if you try to avoid the earthquakes of the West and you go to the central states, you'll have to face the tornadoes. If you try to escape the tornadoes from the central states and you go to the south, you'll have to face the hurricanes. So it really doesn't matter where you go. You're going to find some disaster somewhere. What do you say? Yeah. And so we ought not to become escape artists. We ought to become people who recognize that we can be an influence where we are and that we must be an influence where we are for good. What do you say? We can determine by God's grace then to become the sons of God and the daughters of God today. What do you say? You and I, my friends, must recognize the calling that God has placed upon us. And it's time for us to quit being lukewarm. It's time for us to actually understand that God calls us to be the kind of people that can be a positive influence on our schoolmates, on our uh, colleagues at work, wherever we are. Let us become the salt. Let us be the sons of God. And let us be true to our calling. What do you say? I wonder how many of you tonight would like to stand and say, by God's grace, I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be hot. I want to be active. I want to actually be the kind of son of God that can have an influence on others for their salvation. And by God's grace, that I could be a savior of life unto life. Let us pray together. Our Father, we're so thankful that you make a clear demarcation between your sons and those that are not your sons. I know that you would love all the world to turn to you, but we know that that's not going to be the case. But Lord, help us. Help us to be true to the calling. And if we are lukewarm, then make us cold. But Lord, ultimately, make us hot. Give us fervor, zeal, and a longing to utilize our influence to be a blessing to others. And forgive us when we have been lukewarm, Father. Forgive us when we have sought the association of others so that we have become insipid, neutral. But by your grace, turn that around and make us the salt of the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.